Hello, welcome to The Film File. Yep, it's that show for film geeks, apparently by film geeks. We can never change The Film File theme because... Well, it's embedded in our DNA now, and we just can't get it out. So, hello, welcome. I'm Lee Ford, and as ever, I'm joined by Andy Meakin. How are we doing, sir? Are we well? It, well, I, I, I've left the house twice this week, so I'm I'm getting myself in a positive direction. I've become very aware of the fact that I've been slovenly lying around, getting distracted by current world events and watching films. And speaking of distracted by current world events, last week editing the podcast should have been no more than two hours to edit it and it took me almost eight hours to get it uploaded because all the events in america in the capital were happening as i was editing and a shout out to everyone who's caught up in that situation at this point in time i feel for you guys i really do feel for you that is a mess of a situation that's going on in your capital at this point in time it was it was uh it was quite shocking it was horrendous it was for somebody who spent so much time in the States as I have and love going to the States, I was horrified by the divides that the country has become. And it upset me a great deal. Yeah, it, it, it's a really... It, it, it was going to come to this in the end. We knew it was. It's been building towards it, but it doesn't make it any less impactful when you see it playing out on broadcasts. And then you see the people afterwards trying to defend what was going on. The people who are denying there being a problem with that. And then you get all the whataboutisms. Uh, people people are upset about this, but what about in June when there was this riot? Well, people were upset about the rioters back in June as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no no one was like accusing them. No, no, no. The fundamental difference here is that the rioters back in June and throughout the summer were idiots who had taken what was peaceful protests about rights issues and turned them into something monstrous. And it was the idiots... Not they who weren't representative of Black Lives Matter. This time around, it was people trying to overturn a democratic decision. It was tr- people trying to overthrow democracy. Last time this happened in America, it was the American Civil War. And ironically, the first time that the Confederate flag has been flown within the halls of Congress was last week. I know. I, I, I just find it appalling. I find it appalling that people are trying to defend what went on. You can't defend what went on. It's in a simple word. It's one word. It's sedition. And yeah. look, there there might be there might be grievances. I'm not going to be in a, a stand on in the middle on this. There might be grievances. But if you were following a pack of truly truly outrageous lies, which have no merit, are the work of one man and a small team of people around them, and the power of social media. It is exactly the same as when we talk about ISIS and all those sorts of things. It is, it is uh, sedition. It's terrorism. It is mind control. It is, uh, um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm running out of adjectives for it yeah. because I just think it's so so appalling. I don't keep, I'll keep repeating myself, and I've had the conversations currently with other people. Um, it's hugely disappointing. And, and what's what's shocking shocks me more than anything else is America now can no longer until there's some kind of healing, stand up and say, we are the uh, watchmen of the world and yes. offer 
that kind of insight to a, a third world country or an African country that it's done previously. It has no jurisdiction anymore. I mean, we don't want to dwell on politics on the show because we are no, we are the film file, film. not the politics file. But we can't not talk about these events because they are impacting on all of us. They're impacting on us mentally, even though we're not in that country. We can't help get drawn into it, and it can't help but, in this climate, be another thing dragging us down, and it's hard to overlook it, but thankfully we've got films to help us overlook the situations that we're in. Speaking of which, I I realised today when I was watching a film this morning, I was realising that in this post-COVID times, do you you find this when you're watching something which was made before COVID, that whenever someone hugs someone or someone shake someone's hand <laughs> i know exactly or, what you're going to say or, or someone like you know that someone's eating eating something and passes a copy a, a bit of it over on a spoon to someone else and you look at it and go what are you doing <laughs> i know it is you, you look at it you go back and you go oh i remember when we could do that people going to a club remember we could do that people hugging kissing yeah i watched I watched Roger Waters as The Wall yesterday and I was watching all the scenes of the crowd like so close together and I think, whoa, you're too close. <laughs> it's, oh, what a world we live in now. That It like- is. It's been a difficult one for me, this one. I've, I mean, I've been, I felt very, not isolated by the fact I've got a family around me, which, you know, I, I care and love and, and they are my rock. But I felt, I felt isolated from the rest of the world, especially with some of the things that have happened in the States. Uh, work-wise of, of, of indecision of government that's affecting what I'm doing. Uh, the yes. fact I've got to do my tax return, which is the most miserable thing. I'd rather uh, drill my own teeth out. It's just it's just been that kind of uh, kind of spell, really. And the fact that I've, I left the house once, I figured it, that I'd, I'd, I'd gone out of the house on Monday. I'd not, not actually left the house until uh, I went for a very short walk on Saturday. Uh, and it is starting to feel a bit, bit claustrophobic. Um, unfortunately, other than than work, I've not really invested much in the way of film. I know we work on a film <laughs> show uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I've written a, a short screenplay, which I'm going to aim to get produced by the end of the month. That's my target. And this almost feels like New Year's resolutions, but to get back into doing something creative, which I've not done this year, uh, read more books at least try and see something new once a week because my viewing last week, apart from the thing I'll talk about when we talk about our streaming guide, is yeah. I watched Galaxy Quest again and caught up with a few movies that I've I've seen before. And part of that is have, having a child that you're going, oh, you must watch this. You'll get into it. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of behind. So gone are the days when I would have ended a year by seeing like 150 films at the moment. I've seen very, very little, but more of a sort of a catch-up on TV than anything else. And playing Alien Isolation on the PS4. Played it originally on the PS3. Uh, and boy, that is the, is the Alien sequel that we should have had. Definitely. Um, I've restarted that because I loaded it up on my PS5, so I've got the faster loading times. And yeah, I'm, I couldn't quite take to it last time that I played it. I thought that it was too too oppressive <laughs> but i'm actually quite enjoying the um the atmosphere of it and the story is so well put together it's it is. purely cinematic yeah it is it it could have been a sequel it could be uh alien uh uh 1.5 it really could it's uh it's got that quality to it anyway on this week's show we will be looking at reviews that Andy and I have had chance to see, what's happening in the world of streaming, and of course, before anything else, we bring you the segment that we can only call 
the news because this man basically jacks into the internet to bring you all the latest gossip news and events in this crazy, crazy genre that we like to call film. So, Andy, what have we got as far as news? Last week, when we spoke about New Year's resolutions, um, there was one that I'm determined to commit to that I didn't mention, but I'm going to mention it today because he will come up in the news. And last year, I was very well known for Zack Snyder and negativity. So this year, I'm going to try and be positive about Zack. No, well, okay. I'll tell you what we should do, Andy. I've said what I need to do more uh, for the year. At the end of the year, let's review at our Christmas show uh, whether we kept to any of these... Uh, <laughs> any of these New Year's resolutions, and let's see if, if if Zack Snyder comes out unscathed by the end of the year. So, what good Snyder news do we have? Before I get to that Snyder news, I'll just use my negativity around Ray Fisher instead. Okay, well, I think that's allowed. Ray Fisher, we reported last week about his uh, tweet about uh, Walter Hamada and very publicly saying, I'm having nothing to do with DC while he's in charge, yada, yada. Well, Ray Fisher news again, and despite that public tweeting, he has now attempted to deny the reports that he stepped away from playing Cyborg in the Flash movie. In his words, it is factually inaccurate. I did not publicly step down from anything. If Warner Brothers Pictures has made the decision to remove me from the Flash rather than address in any way Walter Hamada tampering with the Justice League investigation, that's on them. The idea of removing the role rather than recasting it is only being used to try to avoid public backlash. First thing, mate. You did publicly step down from it. You <laughs> tweeted out that you would have nothing to do with anything that Walter Hamada is involved in. That, to me, is as public a stepping away from a project as you can get. Without using the words, I step down. Yes. What is, what is his beef with Walter Hamada tampering with the Justice League investigation? Walter Hamada wasn't anything to do with Justice League, and he, he set up the people who were going to be investigating it, who were independent investigators. Basically, this sums up that he doesn't like the decision that happened. He doesn't like the outcome. It sounds very familiar at the moment. And now he's just lob lobbing more mud. He's just not going to... I mean, if Walter Hamada gets dismissed from Warner Brothers, I guarantee that Ray Fisher will then pick someone else because he's still not being cast as Cyborg. Now, on the point of Cyborg, there's so many DC fans out there who say that it's unfair what's happening to Ray Fisher. He was excellent as Cyborg. Is this... He was excellent as Cyborg in that film that they say shouldn't have existed, Joss Whedon's Justice League, because that's the only film that he's actually <laughs> had a chance to really play him in. So he was excellent in that film that you all hate. How do you know what he's going to be in the 80% more footage that he's going to be in this film? Well, they'll consider that he's already excellent, won't they? I mean, that's the thing. They've, all, they've already decided it's going to be perfect, but uh, I think Ray Fisher just needs to calm down, step away, do nothing for a year, wait until people forget about this, and then try to get a career back. I think it's sad more than anything else that he's throwing his career away by being so publicly abhorrent. Yeah, I'm totally in agreement with you. He's, he's denying his own words in this one. He's denying publicly stepping away from stuff. Is he, is he, is he like Trump? This is a Trump kind of thing. You say something and then three days later say, I didn't say it. It's like, well, you did. It's here. I didn't. That's not me. It's ridiculous. I also want to point out that Ray Fisher then went on to also say the Justice League investigation led to Warner Media parting ways with Joss Whedon. So there was an outcome. 
And he set, then followed with, Jeff Johns will be following suit. However, Variety has called him out on that second part and stated that Warner Brothers have no plans to remove Johns, who is still the showrunner on Stargirl and executive producer on Titans, Batwoman, Doom Patrol and the upcoming Superman and Lois series. So he's throwing out speculation again. He's mixing this pot. He's stirring up hatred for Jeff Johns again. Oh, let's move on to the positive news. Let's move on to Zack Snyder. And that's something that you don't hear very often from me. <laughs> no, that's true. Well, we've got his uh, Netflix movie, uh, Army of the Dead, which we've talked about yes. over the last few few weeks, which I'm really looking forward to. Good cast. Yes, uh, he's released some more shots from that. And there's been a small clip on a Netflix teaser that is being released, which looks pretty good. And the new shots show Batista and the group of mercenaries that the film revolves around. And in Zach's words, it's a full-blown balls-to-the-wall zombie heist movie. So it's genre on genre in a great way. You expect pure zombie mayhem, and you get that 100%. But also you get these really amazing characters on a fantastic journey. It's going to surprise people that there's a lot of warmth and real emotion with these great characters. And I can't help but get excited. I know. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I said, I think last week, that I think Dawn of the Dead is the best film that he's done. And I'd like to see him revisit that world, and, and apparently he is. And Netflix seems to have a lot of faith in it because they are – generating other ip around the army of the dead including an anime prequel i believe is it yes a prequel and the spin-off series i want him to do what he did with dawn of the dead and really give us something vibrant and fun in a zombie film well it might be the one in addition zach has also clarified the reshoots and additional shots for justice league essentially amounts to two scenes he says essentially because obviously there's some pickups for other scenes as would be the norm in any production but it, as he says first first of all let's just clarify there's like two bits that i added one bit that i had really sort of hoped to shoot in post but never got the chance to and then one scene with jared just talking about jared leto as his joker this whole little piece with jared the truth is the rest of the four hours of the movie are really just what i shot so it is amounting to just small differences all the additional footage that we'll see is all the stuff that was left on the cutting room floor because joss whedon basically reshot 90% of the film, apparently. Um, in addition, two new stills of the baddies, Steppenwolf and Darkseed, have been released. And I'm st I'm still not sold on the spiky silver images that we're seeing. No, neither am I. Maybe it'll work when it's actually in motion. We haven't seen it in motion. We've just seen a still. And sometimes you can't judge the effects work on a still. I'm expecting to not like Zack Snyder's Justice League because I've not liked his DC output. But I'm going to reserve judgment until I've watched it. I am not going to... I'm not going to be negative about the film until I've seen it. And you never know. It might Exactly. Be I mean, that's, that's what we should always do. We should always leap in uh, and, and give, it its, uh, give it its dues based on the film that we're watching rather than anything, you know, the politics behind it, whether we agree with it or not. It's, it's potentially uh, it's going to stand, uh, stand in its, on its own two feet. Apparently, I've heard that Harry Lennox has confirmed that he'll be playing the Martian Manhunter in Zack Snyder's Justice League, and Harry Lennox appeared in Man of Steel, I think it was, and it's that same character transported into the Justice League and to be revealed as uh, the Martian Manhunter. Apparently it's only a long cameo, but, but we shall see. I love Martian Manhunter. I've got a lot of love for Martian Manhunter. Um, moving on to, well, it, it's kind of linked. It's Warner Brothers news. And there's been a lot of backlash to and forward, to and fro about how they were moving things to HBO Max at the same time as cinemas. Well, 
the reportedly close to securing deals on the payments to artists over the films that get these split releases. The deals that are hoping to get in place will guarantee payments to people who've decided to take a percentage of box office cut, regardless of what the box office figures turn out to be. So they'll get a guaranteed set amount, with HBO Max paying Warner Brothers a considerable fee to get the films for the 31 days on release, and all of that money going to the production partners and filmmakers. The deal will also halve the normal figure required at the box office before percentage deals are paid out. And it isn't known at this point in time whether the filmmakers will be happy with it and sign up to it, and it's very likely that one or two might still push for cinema exclusivity. And I'm looking at Dune here. Let's be honest, Villeneuve is not going to allow that to go to streaming at the same time as cinema. He wants it to be a cinematic exclusivity. But at least this is a start in making amends for that huge mistake that they made in not including people in the negotiations before announcing everything last year. I've heard that um, M. Night Shyamalan is, uh, is also one of those people who's not happy with the HBO Max deal. Uh, in fact, his words are, it's ridiculous. I've got a little bit of news. Go on. That's a film that's uh, not been on our radar as we look into uh, ahead to 2021. And the, the movie called Tomorrow War, starring Chris Pratt and J.K. Simmons, I know very little about it, but it's not going to get a cinema release. It is now going to go straight to a streaming service, and that streaming service uh, is apparently going to be uh, Amazon Prime. And they've got a bidding war to acquire tomorrow world for a whopping 200 million so with a cast like chris bratt uh, jk simmons betty gilpin then uh, you know there's a lot a lot hanging on that it's directed by uh, lego batman's uh, chris mckay set in the, the near future and focus on humanity's war against an invading alien force when scientists find a way to enlist soldiers from the past the hope is that the earth might easily and finally be able to overturn the tide of an invasion i'm in I've not heard anything about this movie, but um, apparently it's going to go to Amazon Prime. Well, you know me with um, any sci-fi genre things, I'm always interested. Uh, the first wave of mu movie shunts has already started, and Morbius from Sony is now looking at an August release date, and it's anticipated that other Sony and Universal films in particular will be looking at shunting their release dates throughout the year, mainly because Disney and Warner Brothers have got that backup of their streaming services, so they've got their dates committed. The other two have to negotiate every release to whatever channel they want to put it through, and they'd rather cinematic release. Now, one which is caught up in that is obviously Bond, which is due out on April the 2nd internationally, with reports that it was going to be a week earlier in the UK, and with it looking like nothing's going to be right by the end of March, it's very likely, according to Word today, that we should get an announcement pretty soon on whether that moves. Well, I might have a, a bit of a stop the press moment with that. So my people in the know have told me that Bond is losing so much money, not due to the fact that uh, of its production budget, but the loans that it, it took out to pay for the film. So there's not a big pot of money. Films are financed through very many different ways. And production loans are... Um, usually one of the, the, the key ways of of, uh, of paying for a film. But because of the interest on Bond, it's apparently now becoming an issue that the film is just losing money sat on the shelf uh, with the amount it's, it's generating in, in interest. And that potentially it, is just, it just won't have a chance to make back its box office because of what it's going to be outstanding and already in debt. So the rumor that I've heard is that it, they are looking to do a deal in the UK 
for release of the new Bond film on Sky. Now, I've only heard that from a couple of sources. We might be proved wrong in the next couple of weeks. I'm, I'm only stand by my sources, but I, uh, like everyone else, until it happens, that might be the current situation, but that could be one hell of a scoop. Well, I know that Sky had their exclusivity with Bond uh, just before Skyfall came out, didn't they? They had exclusive exclusive right. rights to broadcast all the Bond films for almost two years. So yeah. this wouldn't be some, anything new for Sky to get involved. I mean, they, it was very lucrative for them back then. They got a lot of attention because they had their Bond channel. So it sounds feasible, but we should be getting some news pretty soon. I mean, already everything's starting to topple. Things are starting to move and things like King's Men, which is due out in March, that's probably going to move, so on and so forth. Positive news. And you can always rely on Lord Feige to give us some good news. The great Lord Kevin. Oh, I made a bit of announcements this week. <laughs> He's made a couple of announcements this week about the Marvel. We still should have a piece of uh, a piece of heavenly music whenever we mention the great Lord Feige. I know he's been in the in the news talking up uh, the upcoming release on Friday of One Division, which I might add is getting a good word of mouth from people who've seen the first three episodes. But I do know he's mentioned something about Deadpool. So jealous of the people who've got screeners for One Division. It's like oh. Oh, seriously, you guys. Uh, but yeah, Deadpool. So there's been a lot of speculation, obviously, since Fox were bought by Disney, that would Deadpool fit in the MCU? Would the key to be R-rated? Well, he's clarified that, yes, Deadpool is joining the MCU and he will stay R-rated in his solo outings. So if he crosses over into any of the other films, he will still be the same jokey character, just toned down language-wise, like he is in the comics when he teams up with other other characters in their titles. But in his own title... Yeah, that sounds like, like like the runoff from Deadpool. Yeah. In his own title, he gets to be as violent and rude as he always is. Ryan Reynolds is currently overseeing the script, but according to Feige, he's a busy man and he's got a lot of things going. So it's not anytime soon. But in the same interview, more good news came when he said that the door is open for the cast and characters from the Netflix shows to move over to the full MCU. There is no stipulation saying that no, they don't. None of them come into it. The door is open for them if they want to reprise their characters, and the characters are going to be used again. He would be happy to see them join. Well, that's it is good news and very exciting. And you know, there has been rumours of uh, Daredevil appearing with Charlie Cox back in the role in the upcoming Spider-Man film, and also Jessica Jones appearing in the She-Hulk. Uh, from what I've heard, yes. Some of them are probably just speculation. I know that Feige did also state over the past week that some of the rumours and speculation going around about which characters are going to be popping up in the Spider-Man film aren't quite right, but he won't okay. tell us which ones aren't. So he's leaving us all to speculate. I love him. I love the guy. <laughs> we live in great days. Moving away from Feige and Monty Python news. Monty Python news, but but how can there be Monty Python news when they've disbanded and, and some of them are no longer on this mortal coil? Well, it's Python-related. Spam a lot the stage musical based on the Holy Grail has been snagged by Paramount Pictures and have attached Casey Nicolor, the Broadway di director, to bring the show to screen. Okay. Nicolor choreographed the original Spamalot stage show and has, has also been behind the scenes on the Book of Mormon and Mean Girls stage. Eric Idle is currently penning the screenplay for the big screen outing, which must be a bizarre experience for him to have worked on the original Holy Grail, then converted it to a stage and now converting uh, yeah. the stage back to film again. It's a bit like uh, a bit like hairspray. Or the producers. 
is yeah. another one that um, yeah. bounced backwards and forwards. Idol is pending that screenplay and is expecting the film to enter production later this year. There will be some plot differences to The Holy Grail, the film. Uh, but these film plans have been laying in dust over at the Fox Studios ever since the merger with Disney. And no one knew what was going to happen, but it's finally been picked up by Paramount Pictures, who are now hoping that we'll get to see that next year. I've got a little bit of casting news for you. I know you're very excited for Roland Emmerich's Moonfall because it has the most preposterous plot ever. But that's what we expect from Roland Emmerich. So uh, originally mentioned for the cast was Stanley Tucci. Uh, Michael Penner is replacing him for reasons that we do not know, but it's a star-studded ensemble. Of course it is, because he is this generation's Irwin Allen. So the cast includes Halle Berry, uh, Patrick Wilson, John Bradley, Charlie Plummer, and the great Donald Sutherland. I mean, we know what to expect from an Emmerich film, so as long as there's destruction of monuments around the world, that's all that I'm in for. Um, Brendan Fraser is set to star in... I don't know how I went from destruction of monuments around the world to Brendan Fraser, but we're going with it. Brendan Fraser is set to star in (laughs) Darren Aronofsky's next adaptation, which is an adaptation of Samuel D. Hunter's play, The Whale. I don't know whether you've heard anything about this. No, I haven't. No. Well, um, the the story is about a 600-pound middle-aged man named Charlie who's attempting to reconnect with his 17-year-old daughter. The pair became distant when Charlie left his family to go and live with his gay lover. But after the gay lover died, Charlie was struck with grief and compulsively ate, hence his size. So it's it's Aronofsky territory through and through. And Aronofsky, I always find he's very much it. You either love his work or you absolutely cannot get what people love about his work. And I'm very much on the side of I love his work. I've still not seen his last outing, which was Mother. I've heard it's very, very much a divisive film. Yeah, I, I wasn't drawn to it. But I do like Aronofsky. Yeah, but I do I do find his work, even if I don't completely connect with it, I find it engaging and interesting more than anything else. He tackles projects in a very interesting way. And I'm loving seeing Brendan Fraser getting, getting his career back. I've missed him. He was great in Doom Patrol. I mean, a lot of it was was voice casting, but the, the times that he was in it, uh, it was just good to see Brendan Fraser back on the screen because he's been away for far too long. And always proved that as well as doing the, the, the kooky comedy stuff like George of the Jungle uh, uh, and, and, you know, the, the the leading man stuff with the mummy, he could play it straight and could play it as a, as a character actor as well. So that, that's one that we'll be keeping an eye on. Did you know that Mike Carhill, the director behind 2011's uh, excellent indie feature, Another Earth, was making a new film. No. Well, he has, and it's finished, and it's coming out on Amazon next month. Uh, it stars Owen Wilson and Salma Hayek, and the, they both star in Bliss, a science fiction romance which, like the rest of Carhill's work, explores big, heady concepts from a grounded human level. And there's a trailer out if you want to indulge. Speaking of trailers, there's a trailer out for Judas and the Black Messiah, which stars Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya. The film sees Stanfield as an FBI informant named William O'Neill, who is sent to infiltrate the Black Panther Party and is tasked to keep tabs on Kaluuya's chairman, Fred Hampton. O'Neill is a career thief, however, and takes a thrill in the danger of manipulating not only those who he's infiltrated, but also his handler, Roy Mitchell, played by the ever-excellent Jesse Plemons. However, there comes a point where he needs to choose his sides and decide which side he's worth fighting for. This film looks politically charged, and I watched the trailer before we started the show today, and I'm on board for it. This this is one that definitely keep your eyes out for. Uh, Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem are starring in Being the Ricardos for director Aaron Sorkin. And you and I are huge, as everyone should know, 
huge Sorkin fans. Yes. Uh, Danny Boyle working on a Sex Pistols miniseries. Uh, he's doubled in TV before, has Danny Boyle with Trust. And of course, he touched upon the Beatles in Yesterday. And I'm a huge Sex Pistols fan. So I am really looking forward to this. Whether it's uh, a documentary or whether it's a drama, I'm not sure at this time. Uh, to be honest, I don't care one way or the other, whether it's one or the other, because I'll be on board for it. Yes, indeed. Way. A couple of quick bits of news to round up. So we haven't even had Palm Springs over here in the UK. No, I'm looking forward to this a lot. We do like Sandberg's style of humour in his films. And I've said multiple times that pop star Never Stop Never Stopping is possibly the only film to rival Spinal Tap as the mock documentaries. But already the news has come out that Sandberg is going to be teaming up with the writer of Palm Springs, Andy Sayara, for a sci-fi comedy for Apple which is going to be based on original idea from the BoJack Horseman creator, Raphael Bob Waxberg. And no plot is known as yes, because, of course, it's an original idea. He doesn't want anything leaking out. But a director's being sought right now. Noah Hawley and Ben Stiller are producing. Colour me excited. And Ben Affleck is attached to direct and produce a live-action film based on the fantasy book series Keeper of the Lost Cities for Disney. It's good to get uh, Affleck back in the director's chair. But yeah, Affleck's solid director. Can't wait to see how he adapts it. Uh, the story follows a 12-year-old telepath who seeks to find out why she's the key to her brand new world before someone else gets the answer first and uses it for malicious needs. Never read the book series. Interested to see what it plays out like. And on the final bit of news... I don't know whether you saw Netflix's little sizzle reel that they released this week. I didn't see it, but I know that The Rock and Ryan Reynolds were both featured in there. And there's some big and very interesting Netflix news on the horizon. Yeah, I mean, the sizzle sizzle reel for highlighting that 2021 is definitely their year. I mean, they've raised their profile over the past few years with content and movies, some prestigious releases alongside the generic action films and a few award nominations and wins. Well, this year, they have at least one new film each week. And like you say, Ryan Reynolds and Rock the Dwayne Johnson are in there. But also names like Gal Gadot, Zack Snyder, Jason Momoa, Jennifer Garner, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Noah Centino, Octavia Spencer. Oh, the list goes on. So many films to look forward to. We've already mentioned Army of the Dead. There's Adam McKay's Don't Look Up. And action spectacles such as Red Notice from Ross and Marshall Thurber. This is definitely going to be Netflix's year for films on streaming services. Disney might have the more exciting TV services wrapped up, but Netflix owns movies. And that, as we say in the biz, is the news. Well, if you've been hanging in this far, then clearly you're enjoying what you're listening to, which is a relief for all of us. And uh, if you're a fan <laughs> of this particular episode and this is your first visit, then go back and listen to the other previous 51s. And trust me, you'll have as much fun listening as we had making. Well, maybe not quite as much, but we always have fun making. So please hit that subscribe button and become a regular Filmfile fan. And please don't ask me to say that again because it was tough enough the first time. <laughs> you can find us on all the platforms, but if you want to know more, and I've just got to point out how much you should enjoy Andy Meekin's Twitter feed on a Sunday night because it's so entertaining. Andy, tell us about what you do on a Sunday night, and then tell us about your, your Twitter feed. Movie talk on Sunday, known as hashtag MTOS, and every Sunday night from 8pm, and that's UK time, so adjust it for wherever you are in the world. We have a topic with 10 questions, one question going out every 10 minutes about film, and it could be about a director, a genre, it could about be about something random. Before now, I took the lyrics to Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley and did a Rick Roll one. 
And it was like, never going to give you up. What's the one film that you'll keep returning to? Question two, never going to let you down. What's the film that you thought was going to be a disappointment, but man, you were blown away by it? And that kind of thing. We have fun with it. And there's no right or wrong answers because we're all just giving opinions on film. And I'm the guy who loves Wild Wild West, so I'm aware that I'm in the minority here. <laughs> yeah, you are. I'll rightly point that out. You you are. But it's but never about okay. criticising each other's opinions. It's all about just expressing our love for film. So you can find the movie talk by searching for hashtag MTOS, or as I prefer, you can follow us on Twitter at Filmfile UK. And if you want to just get in touch with us in general, send us an email at podcast at filmfile.uk. Love to hear from you. Tell us your thoughts on films. Tell us any films that you think that we should watch and we should talk about on the show. And you can also find us on Instagram. Again, Filmfile UK. Right, at this part of the programme, we are going to take a look at some of the films that uh, we've had a chance to watch over the couple of weeks. Uh, Clearly, we're not leaving the house, so everything is done either via streaming or on TV channels. Or in fact, you remember those things called Blu-rays? Yeah, it might even be one of those. So Andy's going to kick off. Andy, what have you uh, what have you watched? What have you enjoyed over the last week? So one of the films that I've seen this past week is one which is getting a lot of buzz online about, and that's Pieces of a Woman. She has to pay for her incompetence. Is this about money? No. Is it is it about what, what people think? It's about you. It's about you having to face this. I am and... facing this. I am facing it! Well, I don't think you are. We need, we need some justice here. No, you need. That is what you want. That is what you need. That is, that is your way. That is not my way. That is what you need. Martha, if you had done it my way, you'd be holding your baby in your arms right now. You know what, you, you're ashamed. You're so ashamed of me. You're ashamed because I failed. Oh, what a disgrace. Oh, what a disgrace. I failed. Given the subject matter of this film and the buzz around it and the hard-hitting emotion of the story that everyone was talking about, I anticipated this as being a very hard watch for me because the story focuses on a couple who are excitedly preparing for the arrival of their first child. However, something goes wrong in the birth and the child doesn't live. And then it's all about the picking up the pieces of your life afterwards. And given the fact that we lost our daughter, our first daughter way back in 2000, after she'd only lived for three weeks and all the hardship that goes with that, I anticipated being a wreck watching this film. However, it was a hard watch, but for all the wrong reasons. Okay. I'm intrigued. It didn't connect with me on that emotional level that I anticipated it doing. The film felt laboured and it felt stagey throughout with the typical kind of melodrama that are afforded to Hallmark Channel late night midweek weepies. As someone who's gone through the heartbreak of losing the first child, I mean, just to give some backstory for people who don't know, our first daughter was born and it was detected that she was a trisomy 13 child. We didn't know anything about it until she was born because there wasn't enough scans through the pregnancy to highlight there would be any issue. And so it was a huge emotional shock. And we were given, after two weeks of her in ICU, the option of letting nature take its course or keeping her hooked up to machines. And we decided to take her home, let nature take its course. And that's when we lost our baby girl. So that's the emotional level that this could have hit at. But it didn't. The opening, I come straight out of the gate and just say the opening 23 minutes of this film is an achievement. 
there's 23 minutes at the start of it, which follows Vanessa Kirby and Shia LaBeouf as the expecting parents in an evening in their home in real time as she gives birth. So it starts with them just settling down for something, then a waters break, and then they call the midwife, midwife comes out, and it goes through the whole thing, and it's a single shot. And I'm not talking it's a single shot with like, oh, you can see where they did the cut there. Oh, they can see where they did the cut. This is a single take, and it's stunningly put together. But it says something about how little it impacted on me emotionally, that I was so impressed with it technically that I wasn't paying attention to what was going on on screen. And I think I, I've seen so many people say this initial 23 minutes is absolutely jaw dropping. And it's a powerhouse performance by, by Vanessa Kirby in this. And it is, but we shouldn't be focused on the fact it's a 23 minute single shot. We should be focused on the emotional journey of this, this scene. And that's where the film lets itself down because it feels technically brilliant, but it doesn't feel like it resonates on any emotional core. The film after that opening section, it just plods along. And sadly, once more, seems to convey the ideas that couples break up after loss. And I've seen this portrayed so often in films of the similar nature, mostly those Hallmark Channel weepies, where couples, after the loss of their first child, they break apart, they go different ways, they're different people. And that's not always the case. And I'm fed up of seeing that. And I'm fed up of people saying that that's reflective of what happens because none of everything, none of anything that happened afterwards felt like it reflected what we went through afterwards. You're not gripping me as far as story goes, but but what a performance is like. And and you mentioned Vanessa Kirby, but in particular, Sheila Booth, who was an actor that sometimes I have a bit of a, a love-hate relationship with. It's a shame. Shia Booth, who I've got, I've got a lot of love for Shia LaBeouf since he stepped away from blockbusters. But maybe it's a problem with the writing, but I found his character to be entirely self-serving and unlikable from the offset, even before tragedy struck. And I don't know whether he was just on autopilot, but he didn't feel as impressive as he normally is in these lower key dramas. Vanessa Kirby is fantastic, at least in that 23 minutes at the start of it. But after that, again, she fails to connect and the rest of her performance is average at best. All in all, it's a bit of a shame because there's something in there. And like I say, it's technically a well put together film. It just doesn't resonate with me. And it didn't hit me as much as it seems to be hitting other people. There's a ham-fisted score by Howard Shore as well, which doesn't help because I hate musical scores that tell you how to feel, to tell us how I should be feeling. And it also doesn't help that there's little bits of the score that sound a bit like Michael, Michael Andrews's Donnie Darko score. Uh, those, those moments I was like, this is Carpathian Ridge. I'm pretty sure this is Carpathian Ridge. And that's the problem as I was too focused on the technical things that were right and wrong because the story had lost me. So just to wrap up, you might get something from this film, but for me, I, I couldn't relate to it and I felt that I should have related to it and that's a problem. Technically a great film, marvellous performance at the start from Vanessa Kirby which is getting a lot of mention but it falls apart in the second half and it feels too stagey. Okay, well I'm disappointing. I'm going to go with a very tenuous Sheila Booth link to the film that I watched which I know has been out ooh, two years but I finally got a chance to see it and I was really, really impressed and thought it was worth a mention. It appeared on Netflix and that's Bumblebee. where he came from. No idea. Let's say we're driving and all of a sudden, somebody's there, hide! You serious? You've cut me and I'm not going anywhere. 
Bumblebee. So, two decades prior to the events of Transformers, Bumblebee now crash lands in 1987 in San Francisco, and he's hauled from a local junkyard by a teenager, Charlie, played by Halle Stanfield. And the intrepid Autobot does his best to adapt to 1980s Earth while evading his Decepticon pursuers. And you know what? I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Now, this is a film that uh, I'd heard good things about, including from yourself, Andy. Yeah. And what it lacked was its was its greatest strength, which is it lacked Bayhem all the way through it. So as, with each Transformers movie, it became more about the spectacle and less about storyline, characterization, you know, human things. They were impressed with themselves with their, their lack of plot, uh, but their incredible and outstanding, often special effects, which, again, I must point out, the effects in this film are absolutely superb. But it's got a tighter rein. And most importantly, this film has some depth to it and it has characterization. And that's down to Travis Knight's direction. Travis Knight previously wrote as Kubo and the Two Strings. And that heart that he brought to that film shines in this movie. This is a film about relationships, not demolished cities and explosions and mega violence and robot on robot uh, uh, beatings. This, at the heart of it, is about Charlie and B's partnership, and it's the beating heart of the film. It's a great film. It's so much fun. It's a joy, and it's everything that a Transformers franchise should have been from the offset. Taking away, I mean, Michael Bay made junky robot films, and that's about it. Whereas this film, it like you say, it's got the heart, it's got the character, it's got the drama, but it's fun, it's vibrant, and the effects. The effects seem better than Bay's ones, even though it had a much lower budget. Absolutely, I mean, marvelous film. It's 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 a story about um, about people, even though it's about Bumblebee, who's this dinky yellow Volkswagen, which I think Bay got rid of, didn't he? Replaced he replaced uh, uh, Bumblebee with. Yep. Uh, with another car and all that rejecting of the Bayhem is why this film works it's got a great opening sequence which really captures those of us who grew up with the transformers cartoon <laughs> it's got uh, it's got a great music score uh with the main character being a massive fan of the smiths and its dna is more within steven spielberg with that sort of vintage uh spielbergian touches like suburbia the slight comedy that comes into it uh, the chance for characters to grow. It had almost elements of, of um, John Hughes to it as well. It's got a great soundtrack, but as I said right at the get-go, by diminishing the bayhem in it, and there really isn't much, even though it's got a, a great finish, this feels like the first Transformers film, and it's an absolute joy. Fantastic. So that's on Netflix at the moment. It is indeed. Well worth checking out. If my next review, it's another Let's Go to Netflix, and it's Robert Rodriguez's We Can Be Heroes. Aliens are invading. We need to stop them. We've never dealt with anything like this before. Now, I'm not a huge Robert Rodriguez fan. I think he's hit and miss. And his Spy Kids film started off as a lot of fun. 
but the Shark Boy and Lava Girl movie uh, was I thought or thought was shocking. I thought it was amateurish. Is this going to prove me that I can go back to Robert Rodriguez, other than the work that he did on on the first Sin City and uh, the Mandalorian? El Mariachi and Desperado. Don't don't forget that. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, when he started, I loved him. But as he as as he progressed, especially into his more junior films then that's when i i lost interest well after he gave us the spy kids films which managed to appeal as great little kids films but also with enough nods and references to the genre that it was spoofing to make the adults embrace it he took the idea for shark boy and lava girl from one of his kids and that was a film that you had to be a kid to actually enjoy and it lacked that family fun broader appeal that the spy kids franchise had well this film kind of returns to the spy kids aspect and sets it back in the shark boy and lava girl universe but it's another attempt at a stab at superhero fun and it kind of works just about uh, the story is that a threat to the world from tentacle alien nasties leads the superheroes of the heroics being captured their lack of teamwork gets in the way and their kids set out to rescue them and hopefully save the day there's a lot of fun to be had to this film and there were some absolute belly laugh moments. There's a huge similarity in the th- style and themes of Spy Kids in the manner of parody of the genre that it takes. The adult heroes are familiar archetypes, even down to the team leader being very similar to a self-absorbed leader from another superhero tale, one which is a bit more adult-focused and on Amazon, uh, the boys. Um, there's a lot of similarities in there, only this time it's family-friendly. And Pedro Pascal, who is just everywhere at the moment. He's just everywhere. Yeah. He has reached the time in his life, hasn't he, where he has <laughs> arrived. Oh, definitely. He plays an, an almost Hawkeye type of character in his Ronin style with twin katanas, albeit with a limited telekinesis ability. Sharkboy and Lava Girl are in this film. They're adults now, and they're played by the same actors. And you know what? They kind of work. Uh, but the real fun in this film comes, like with the Spy Kids films, from the kids taking up the mantle of their parents and the skewed variations on their parents' powers that they have. The child of the speedster appears to be smooth, moving in slow motion, but apparently is actually moving really fast, but in a temporal bubble. So he's got momentum of high speed, only really slow. Figure that one out. That character alone results in some marvellous belly laugh moments when, you know, they go, okay, race to action. And then he's slow motionly running after them. Marvellous stuff. And it never seems to get tired. And naturally, Pascal's daughter is powerless because if you're a Hawkeye type, let's be honest, you have got no powers. But she's kind of like the brains of the operation. Uh, Sharkboy and Lava's kid is prone to fury rage but can manipulate water. And they have fun with it. They have fun breaking conventions and playing about with formulas. And the film, like the Spy Kids films, is aiming young. But the loving parody aspect works to allow the older kids and the adults to find something charming to engage with. The look is vibrant in that manner that Rodriguez manages to get, and it's comic book style fun. It's got a nice message in it, and this is a world that I would happily return to for sequels. Maybe not too many sequels, because we know with the Spy Kids series that once they got to the 3D one or the third one, maybe they shouldn't have gone there. But at this point in time, I had enough fun to make this worthwhile. Excellent. Okay, I've, I've been uh, I've been viewing this one with some trepidation, but I think you've sold me. Uh, uh, it's definitely a recommendation. For my son, I'm just quickly going to point out. Uh, I showed him uh, Galaxy Quest, which was, uh, I think, more for me than it was for him, and it was just great to revisit. My last review on uh, what you can see over on some of the streaming channels right now is the first episode of The Stand. Yes, I know it's technically television, but we live in that kind of world now. Hey, 2021, 
Don't judge me. Hello? Can anybody hear me? There's bitter days ahead. Death and terror. I'm dreaming this. I need you to come find me. Welcome to the Boulder Free Zone. Mother Abigail brought us all together to keep us safe. Dangerous being prophet during times of upheaval. Soon he'll destroy all who stand against him. The Dark Man. My pleasure to introduce the man who shook the world, Randall Flag! Citizens of New Vegas, from the ashes of Captain Tripp, we have risen! That's what happens now. You have a choice. We all have a choice. If we're gonna do this, we should do it together. So based on the author Stephen King's post-apocalyptic vision of a world decimated by a plague and embodied with the elemental struggle between good and evil, this is a new take brought to us by Josh Boone, who you remember we reviewed his New Mutants. Well, it feels like a lifetime ago, but I think it's about six episodes ago. It's received a bit of stick for its first episode, and I, I don't know where the series is developing, but so far I'm in. What I liked yeah. about it is... We've already had one of the Stan's adaptations. Uh, and even though it's a little bit dated now, I thought it worked really, really well. So to me, there was no point in just recreating either that or King's novel. So what Boone has given us is a piece of television which is, is quite hard going because it swaps time, uh, is nonlinear in, in places, and doesn't repeat the storyline that we're familiar with. So we get to see the world already in the aftermath of, of this uh, killer virus known as Captain Trips. And we switch about time. And in the first episode, we meet two of the characters, an everyman, Stu Redman, and a soon-to-be pregnant, Franny Goldsmith. So in the first episode, that's really the only two characters we get to meet apart from the presence of the 108-year-old Mother Abigail and the worst nightmares of man embodied in the lethal smile and unspeakable powers of Randall Flagg, also known as the Dark Man. I'm not sure where the series is going, but so far with episode one, I'm intrigued enough, and please give me episode two. But you can find that on Stars Play, which you can access via Amazon Prime. Yeah, I've watched the second episode, uh, which was dropped on Sunday this week, and you get to see a bit more of Alexander Skarsgård's Randall Flagg in episode two, as well as you get introduced to Larry Underwood and Nadine Cross, two other characters in the books. I'm loving, like you are, the way that it's telling it in a different way, and it seems to be focusing on... It's introducing the characters an episode at a time. It's not throwing them all in at the same time and hoping you catch up. It's letting us learn everything that we needed to know about Stu and Franny. The next episode, we'll get to learn Larry and Nadine, etc., etc. So it's giving us a good backwards and forwards way of telling it. It works. Yeah. It's intrigued me. It's dragged me in. And, and and I'm excited to see where this all, I mean, I know where it leads to, but I'm excited to see where this series takes it and how they explore it. Yeah. I mean, we've been here before with The Stand. I mean, if you've read the book, you know the story in uh, with such depth. There's been uh, the previous TV adaptation, which was good for its time, even though it has a lot of problems to it. And there was even a fantastic Marvel Comics adaptation. So what's the point in, in just retelling a story that we've seen before? I like this fact that we, that we jumped in in the middle 
and we are learning yeah. about the characters in an entirely different way. At first, it was a little bit jarring, and I had to keep reminding myself that we were playing with time. But as soon as I got into the non-linear aspect of it, I, I, I became excited by it. And I'm intrigued because there's a, apparently a new ending that, that King has scripted specifically for this, uh, for this TV series. Yep, so uh, let's see how this series pans out. So this coming weekend, things that we're going to be watching and probably talking about next week, uh, I've got my eye on There's Blythe Spirit on Sky, which is an adaptation of Noel Coward's co- classic comic play. Dan Stevens, Isla Fisher, Leslie Mann and Dame Judi Dench. Those names alone make me want to watch it. On Netflix, we've got Outside the Wire, which is the Anthony Mackie starring sci-fi thriller set in the future, seeing a drone pilot team up with an android officer to locate a doomsday device. And we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago on the show. We did. We're probably both going to end up watching that one, but that will get talked about next week. But then there's there's something on Disney Plus this week. Um, Yes. Oh, what is it? Launching on Disney Plus. Well, yeah, let's not be too coy. Uh, It's a series that we've been looking forward to for some time. Uh, delayed due to, um, you know, a little issue of a pandemic. But it's the start of Marvel Universe's basically new TV domination. And again, they've beaten DC to the game by producing their own work uh, and colouring outside of the lines, it seems, with WandaVision that has been eagerly anticipated for, well, for so long now. We thought we were going to get it in November. It looks like uh, 2021 is going to be Marvel's year on disney plus yeah i mean it's no doubt that we are going to have something to say about one division on the next yeah show. the word has been good i've seen some previews uh some reviews uh talking about it and apparently it's it's not like anything we've ever seen from them so i know what i'm doing on friday night chinese uh two episodes of one division because apparently we get the first two episodes and then i'll be uh tweeting you to see what you thought <laughs> So that's nearly it for this uh, this episode of The Film File. But before we go, and every week, uh, I ask Andy what he's been watching, what he's been listening to, what has he just been downright enjoying? Andy, what's your neat thing for this week? So my neat thing for this week is Staged Season 2. Oh, you see, I really fancied Season 1, but never got round to it. Should I? Oh, you definitely should. I mean, Sheen and Tennant are so much fun anyway. They have such a chemistry between them. And them doing lockdown video calls was enough to buy me in on season one. And the story on season one is that they were prepping for a play that they were going to star in once lockdown finished. And there was so much banter. There was some cameos by other celebrities joining in the chats every now and then, including a classic one with Samuel L. Jackson. But season two all landed on BBC iPlayer. Uh, first episode aired on BBC itself about a week and a half ago, but the whole lot are on BBC iPlayer, and they are small little 15-minute chunks of absolute fun. The second season starts with a fake chat show with Ramesh Ranganathan interviewing the pair about season one, and it sets up that the Americans have now bought the rights to it to do a remake for the US market, wanting wanting to keep everything together, except, funnily enough, Sheen and Tennant, who they don't think have a wide enough reach to be cast as themselves in their own thing. (laughs) It's an absolute blast. The very first episode starts off with that fake chat show, but also has a brilliant guest turn from Michael Palin, the nice guy of the Python team, who apparently isn't as nice as his public persona shows. It's great. 15 minutes of pure fun. And we're watching one per day that me and Kerry are just sitting down 
sitting and watching it and enjoying a little 15-minute blast just to um, entertain us once a day. I think there's eight episodes in total. It's not a long watch. Well worth checking out. If you've not watched season one, that's all there on iPlayer as well. Get it watched. You won't regret it. Uh, you know, on that recommendation, I will. It was always, I must watch this. But for some reason, I think that there was just so much other things going on. I didn't get around to it, including my own Zoom calls. But it's interesting what you say about the American adaptation of it. I mean, these guys own the series. So I'm sure they're in charge of part of the casting decision for it. Yes. So it'd be interesting to see who they go with. Well, it's so, it's so much fun. It's very meta. They are playing fake versions of themselves, obviously, but it is brilliant. Absolute brilliant. Okay, my neat thing is something that I've been indulging myself with over the last few nights. Don't get excited, ladies. I'm not single. <laughs> uh, and it's the Marvel's probably most consistently great series and my probably my all-time favourite character, and that's Daredevil. But now under the stewardship of writer uh, Chip Zdarsky, who's teamed up with Marco Cicchetto to present the latest take on marvel's man without fear uh, i'm three books in but the series started with uh, daredevil volume one uh, no fear because i'm reading the collected editions rather than reading on a monthly basis this has been a series that's consistently had great writers which have internalized the matt murdoch character so much so that it was it, they were referenced throughout the netflix tv series so we had uh, frank miller we had kevin smith brian michael bendis run particularly saw matt's psychological state that's matt murdoch mark wade put him in situations where he could no longer operate in new york so Disky has done something new and different for a character that's been around nearly well way over 50 years and he's done a terrific job by showing just how uh, vulnerable uh, daredevil is because he's plagued with self-doubt uh, which readers and longtime fans know is actually a rare occurrence. Zadisky is, is best known for his comic work. He does the artwork on Matt Fraction's brilliant sex criminals, and he took a turn of writing Howard the Duck. But this is dark, and it's got a serious adult tone to it without ever getting rid of the superheroics. The artwork is absolutely fantastic. He's, Mar he's one of Marvel's best up-and-coming artists, consistently turning out top-notch work and very, very cinematic uh, a style which you could see this quite easily made into a movie it's been a fantastic read as i said i'm three books in and i can't wait to pick up the next one and that is marvel's daredevil excellent i'll add that onto me um, marvel unlimited watch list you must okay that's it for this week i uh, hope you've enjoyed listening just as much as we've enjoyed bringing you this show and of course this show would be nothing without the man on the other end of the wire mr Andrew Aloysius Meekin, um, <laughs> which I think should be your name, even though it's not. Um, thanks, Andy. Changing it tomorrow. That's yeah, it. that's it. You're moving on. We'll be back next week with more news, our review on WandaVision, and I'm guessing you've already ordered your Chinese to, to uh, get it in time. <laughs> if we're lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, you know, if you book it today, you'll have your Chinese just turning in before. Well, because you watch WandaVision whenever you want. I bet you'll be straight up and you'll have seen it by lunchtime. I'll, I'm hoping that it does the usual of dropping just after midnight. Yeah. And so I'll be watching it the night before, before I go to bed. So we'll see you next week. That's it from the film file for this week. But in the meantime, people can be terrible about things they don't understand. See you next week. <laughs>